Hello, old dogs. This is your host and top dog, Bill Manicero. Today's show is a special rebroadcast of one of our most popular episodes. I'm introducing the show under the banner, Best of Old Dogs REI Network Podcast. Well, enjoy. In a world where jobs are how most people make money, one man, one desire, one challenge dares to break the mold. Welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network, where we don't work for money. Money works for us. Coming soon, viewer discretion advised. Welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network, where cash flow is king. Real estate investing, the means, so you can enjoy your retirement dreams. This is the show where we cut right to the chase. No sales pitch, no long monologues, just simple how-to real estate investing advice, so you can earn the passive income you need to enjoy your retirement today. And now, your host and chief old dog, Bill Manassero. Welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network. I'm your host, Bill Manassero, and this is a show where 50-plusers and anyone else who wants to join us get solid, no-sales-pitch real estate investing advice to help generate real cash flow. This podcast airs twice weekly on Mondays and Fridays, and if you aren't already a subscriber, go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, type in Old Dogs, spelled D-A-W-G-S, Find our podcast and subscribe. Well, we got a great show for you today. I'm, I'm real stoked about it. Uh, a gentleman who has written a book that uh, talks a lot about the process of growing a portfolio. And I'm talking about Michael Zuber. And his book is called One Rental at a Time. Michael worked in the Silicon Valley since graduating from Santa Clara University over 20 years ago. After wasting time and money in his 20s, he found real estate investing and more specifically, buy and hold rental properties, which we talk a lot about here in the Old Dogs Network, and has never looked back since. Michael focused on his day job, learned his market, and grew his rental property portfolio from a single rental house to financial freedom in 15 years. Now that he no longer has a day job, he shares his story and helps others via his self-published book, I mentioned, One Rental at a Time, available on Amazon, and his YouTube channel, also called One Rental at a Time, which gets daily original content and is growing rapidly. Well, Michael, welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network. Bill, thank you very much for the invitation. This is uh, this is always a good time. Uh, that's great. That's great. Well, you've got a, a fascinating story. Um, you know, before we kind of dig into uh, the book and and uh, some of the specific real estate stuff, we'd like to find out about you. You know, where you came from, where you were born, and you know, just kind of give us your background. <laughs> Thanks. I'm a Silicon Valley kid. Uh, you know, I, I've been here nearly five decades. Uh, I remember, so I grew up in a city called Sunnyvale, California. 
Uh, I remember when there were cherry orchards literally right behind uh, my my you know community where I grew up. We'd, we'd go there and we'd pick cherries and have little cherry wars. We'd throw them at each other like boys do and, you know, just just have fun. So I, I, I remember when Silicon Valley wasn't the Silicon Valley. Uh, and, and, you know, a family of four could afford a, a reasonably priced home for, for 25 or 30 grand. Uh, it's, it's nothing like that now. Um, you know, I'm, I was married at a very young age. I was married at 19. Um, you know, that's, that, that, that was far too early, right, if you, had to, if you had to do it again. But, you know, that, that really sort of set me on my path. I, I wanted to support my family, so I went and got a college education. I had to pay for it myself which meant I went to junior college first. And if you know the Bay Area, I went to De Anza College. From there, I went to Santa Clara University, uh, where I got my undergrad in economics and ultimately got my master's degree in business uh, and worked in the Silicon Valley my whole life. I was an accountant, interestingly enough, for a very brief time, uh, then made it into the sales arena uh, and was an individual contributor, first line, second line leader in this uh, software sales space for the last 20 plus years. And uh, you know, helped uh, you know, helped raise a sing. You know, we have a daughter, and uh, you know, she's uh, she's nearly thirty now. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of who we are. And you know, my wife and I are, are both retired now, and it's all because of buy and hold uh, rental property. So, that's a that's a quick bio. Ah, uh, that's great. Uh, you're starting to sound like an old dog. You know, I remember when they used to pick cherries back there. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like my story, you know? yeah. <laughs> but that's uh, no, that's very cool. That's very cool. Um, well, it's a, that's a fascinating story, and uh, um, you, uh, uh, I mean, you just kind of, you know, I, I want to hear this, the you know, sort of how you got involved in in real estate. What really sort of got you even thinking about real estate and uh, moving in that direction while you were, you know, working for a, you know, sounds like a, a successful Silicon Valley company. Yeah. So my story of getting into real estate starts with, um, I don't know, I guess probably like most, most stories, it doesn't start from a great place. So again, as, as, I, as you alluded to my intro, I wasted my twenties. And, and part of that time I was day trading stocks, something that was very common back in 1999 and 2000 was day trading stocks. Today, if you're in it, you might be doing crypto or you might be doing options or things of that nature. We did that too. And I successfully turned a measly seven grand into $200,000 or just shy, I think it was 198. And ultimately felt like uh, I was better than Warren Buffett. And lo and behold, the market finally turned against me. And I saw that $198,000 balance in my trading account get all the way down to 40 grand. Uh, in very short order and uh, was devastated and realized I was gambling, realized I was speculating, realized I didn't know what I was doing, and more importantly, didn't have time. What I learned from that exchange is you have time and you focus in, in the stock market. You too can learn the market. You too can find um, you know, stocks with uh, that are undervalued. But I was in a career that didn't give me time. I traveled the world in, in my sales career. I had responsibilities at home for raising our daughter. And again, I felt defeated. So I remember walking into, I think it was a Borders bookstore there on Stevens Creek and finding this purple book. This purple book is obviously now known as Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it kind of changed my life because it set me on a new mindset. It didn't tell me how to do anything, but it basically basically introduced me to the concept of rental properties. And as, as embarrassing it, as it is to sound, 
rental properties was nothing that was discussed in my childhood. I never, I didn't know anybody that owned them. Uh, my parents were were high school graduates and and you know worked worked very hard and were were fine, but they 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 didn't have anything left over. So there there was no talk of rental properties, investments, and things of that nature. So the simple concept of buying a condo in Honolulu by Robert and a, I think another condo by Kim in Portland or wherever it was, was eye-opening to me. And I'm like, you know what? I can do that. I can learn a market. I can figure out what value is. I have an accounting degree and I at that point have a master's degree, so I'm comfortable with numbers. So I spend a year looking in the Silicon Valley which was a mistake. I wasted literally 52 weekends looking for properties because all the books after Rich Dad, Poor Dad said, you know, invest 30 minutes from home. And if you live in the Silicon Valley, that's a joke uh, because nothing has made financial sense here probably for 30 or 40 years. But I didn't know that. So I wasted a year ultimately getting to a point where we pulled out a California map on the table with the wife and I and said, okay, nothing works here. Where can we go? And, you know, long story short, we found Fresno, California or Central Valley. It's about two and a half hours one way from our home. And uh, we found our first house on North Drive for 107 grand that rented for 1100. And that started our journey way back in 2002. Wow, that's uh, that's amazing. <laughs> and and did you um, uh, see the drive what would be the drive about a two hour drive, uh, three hour drive? Two and a half uh, hours. Two and a half hours. 101.99, 1.52.99. It's a relatively easy drive, but yeah, two and a half. Right. Is this a single family home? It was, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you, I mean, you bought it. Um, did uh, you have to do anything to it, rehab it or anything, or was it ready to go? Uh, in hindsight, it was probably ready to go, but we were like a lot of new investors. We insisted on painting it. When we didn't need to, we probably replaced carpets when we didn't need to. I think we spent like four or five grand, you know, making a quote unquote rent ready, not knowing what we'd gotten into. Um, and again, we didn't know. I mean, we put 20 percent down just because that's what you did back then. And, uh, you know, we, we had a property manager, so we've never self-managed. Right. Two and a half hours is a long way away. Um, so we just, you know, we jumped in with both feet. And um it's okay, so you bought it the traditional way um, with the twenty percent down, um, and uh, then you all of a sudden you're landlord, right? Um, yep. Ha, um, was it? I mean, did were you in a good area of Fresno? Was it a you know? A, it was a B. Okay. It was a good working class neighborhood. Yeah, in Fresno. You know, there there back then. This is again two thousand two. Uh, you know, yeah, Fresno was a, was a, and is not was is still. Uh, an area where there's lots of kind of you know B class neighborhoods. So yeah, it was it was definitely a B class neighborhood. So you started in uh, twenty uh, two thousand two. So this was way prior to the uh, the recession, right? So um, did you have a plan in mind, like, well, we're going to buy a house a year? You're going mean, to you're going to build up enough equity until you can get another. I mean, how, what was sort of your strategy at that point? Yeah, I wish I had. I wish I could tell you I had a big plan. My whole plan was, you know what? If I could get to four, um, I believe that in 50 years we would be better off financially, right? All I was thinking about, because again, I just suffered a hundred and fifty thousand dollar loss in the stock market. All I saw my parents do was work their tail off, you know, their whole lives. Uh, so I just wanted to have a better retirement. That was really my goal, and my goal was if I could get to four, uh, we could be better off. Uh, it obviously grew a lot from there. 
Uh, but that was that was it. That was the goal. And were you and your wife both working full time? Yes. Oh, okay. So that was so you had two incomes to deal with there, which would, I'm sure helped out too. Were you were you setting money aside on a regular basis to sort of save for the next house, or or how did you, um, yeah, how did you sort of get get the funds together to to buy that next rental? So we had that forty thousand dollars I referenced earlier, and that actually was enough to fund our first three purchases. Uh, we kept we kept. You know, trying basically what we started to do was cut our expenses because we were like a lot of people. We, we basically lived on our income. We spent money foolishly. So the forty thousand dollars allowed us to get the first three. It was twenty grand on the first, ten on the second, ten on the third. That's the forty grand. We filled the operational and make ready costs out of our incomes, uh, our small savings, and then uh, the next four or five properties we purchased were all cash out refinances. You know, so the first property we bought two thousand. Uh, to property two and three. Um, now, how were you able to get in at ten thousand? Were they were they that much less in cost, or were you able to get uh, lower downs? Lower downs, eighty ten tens, eighty percent first, ten percent seconds, and ten percent equity. Uh, this was back in the days when Country Ride and IndyMac were running around with all these interesting first and second mortgages. So yeah, we bought a second one uh, for another hundred thousand dollar house, rented for eleven hundred. Um, we, it was 80% first, 10% second, and 10% equity. And we did that on the third house as well. So that's how the first 40 grand uh, was invested. Gotcha. Over what time period did that happen? Uh, three houses were about 18 months from the first to the third. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Now, when you're looking for these houses, did you have certain criteria in mind? Um, uh, you know, to, to, I mean, how did you determine which house to buy? So area was the most important. I chose an I chose an area in zip code in Fresno to focus on, and I didn't leave that for the first four or five years. It was nine three seven zero three, often called the Mayfair District. That was kind of bread and butter, three bedroom, two bath, one story homes, built in the eighties. Um, it's just it felt like the area I grew up in, so I felt very safe there. Uh, so Fresno is a million people, and I looked at a footprint that was probably a square mile. So I was very laser focused. I only looked in that zip code. Uh, I looked for the 1% rule back in the day. I don't use that today, but that's where I started. And, um, you know, when you look at it every day, which I've now done for 20 years, uh, you can find little holes in the market. Maybe you find a three bedroom, two bath that has, you know, an extra 200 square feet because there's a living room, uh, dining room combo that maybe you can create a fourth bedroom or, you know, you can start to find holes or opportunities in the market when you stay focused. And, and that's what we did, right? In, the, in house number two and three, uh, I believe we bought both as three bedrooms, but we ended up converting and renting them both as four bedrooms because uh, you had a closet, a wall, a door, and, you know, bingo, bango, you have a four bedroom that you can rent. So um, that's what we did in, in the very early days. Were you using a broker or an agent? Yeah, we bought everything. Everything we bought was out of the multiple listing service now called Realtor.com or Zillow. Uh, we used agents. We 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 had no special access, no door knocking, no mailers. Uh, again, we didn't. We never lived in our market. We didn't know anybody, uh, so we just made phone calls. We talked to listing agents all the time, and we just grew our network. Um, you know, slowly but surely. How did you find your property manager? Oh, that's a story. Um, badly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we uh, we it, we fired the first five. So oh, yeah. you know. 
uh, not a great experience when I, you know, we found the first one because the agent we found was a bro was also a property manager and that turned out to be horrible. Uh, and then, you know, we found one, a bigger one that didn't grow with us and another one that retired and it, it's hard. Finding a property manager in a city you don't know is tough. I would tell a new investor today, um, don't do what we did, right? We bought a property before we had a property manager, which kind of puts us in a tough spot. Uh, I would spend time up front while you're learning a your market to identify a property manager. Uh, so you have at least somewhat of a relationship. We literally were in escrow and didn't have a property manager yet. So we were, you know, we put ourselves in a bind, uh, you know, in hindsight that we shouldn't have. Yeah. Well, that's uh, I went through the same thing. <laughs> I went through a lot of property managers and I'm only out of state investor. You know, I'm, I'm, um, it's uh, not like I can drive to to, uh, you know, check on what the problem is. But uh, OK, so you bought these first ones within that. that that's pretty tight period with an 18 month period. Okay. So after you used up that 40,000, then you started doing sort of cash out refis. Were they picking up, uh, were they uh, picking up a lot of equity at this time? Yeah. That's the beauty of investing in California is it's a very cyclical market. You can go back and look at California in 2003, four, five, and six, which were the years I started our journey. And we had Fresno specifically had a couple of years back to back where appreciation with North of 20%. You could look up uh, and, and I, I'd ask your your folks to pause the, pause this podcast after I give them the address, and go look up on Zillow. The first house we bought was at eighteen eighteen, so one eight one eight Norris Drive, N O R R I S Drive East, nine three seven zero three. You can see in Zillow right there. We bought for one oh seven, and not three and a half years later, we ended up selling it for two sixty four. Wow. That's amazing. And and before we sold it at two sixty four, we did a cash out refi. So those that first forty grand, which was the first three houses, we then did ten thirty, or we then did cash out refis on two of the three, which got us our next five houses. Mm. So we're now at eight. We're at seven. Wait, six houses in a duplex. So eight doors. I want to be as accurate as possible. So six houses in a duplex, eight doors. And at the time, we're trying to buy what would ultimately. What year number was that? Uh, by. That would be the year we sold Norris Drive. So it must be 2006. So it's about four years after we started. Okay. And I'm trying to buy the ninth property, right? I'm trying to buy the next cash flow house. But here's the problem. That house on Norris Drive that we bought for 107 and now could sell for 264 still rented for 1100 mm. There's There's no way that cash flows. It's mm. just upside down. Right. So I'm trying to buy a ninth property in that market and getting frustrated and looking and looking and looking and looking. And we go to a real estate meetup and this speaker talks about small multifamilies. And I'm like, you know, I only thought millionaires could afford apartments. I, I never even looked at an apartment, right? I found a duplex by accident because they were actually two houses. And I thought I was, you know, I, I didn't even know they were on one APN. And um, so then we started looking at multifamily. And ultimately, we buy a five-unit property that rented for three thousand bucks total. Uh, we end up buying it for two twenty, and we end up selling Norris Drive for two sixty, and it rented for eleven hundred. Uh, and again, we didn't sell; we did a ten thirty-one exchange. So we went from eight doors to eighty doors via the ten thirty-one exchange in about a two-year period. Again, no new capital; all exchanges out, out of houses into apartments. Wow. And were you, as you got into apartments, were you starting to sell off the single family homes? Well, again, we did turn 1031 exchanges. So all the houses went away via a sale and we 1031 the money into apartments. Okay. 
So we captured all of that equity on that Norris Drive property. Okay, that's that's awesome. Um, and uh, so, what what kind of apartments were you buying? What size apartments? So we bought small, right? They were all commercial, and if you don't know, commercial starts at five units. So that first property we bought on Vassar was five units. Then we bought a ten, a thirteen. The largest we own is twenty. Um, so we own a couple of eighteens and stuff. So yeah, we we just small. Well, yeah, I would call them small, but maybe they're big to others. Um, but yeah, that's what we did. We got out of houses because they were overpriced. And they were remarkably overpriced. That house on North Drive we sold for 264, even today is only worth 201, and it's 15 years later. Wow! Um, so they were remarkably overpriced. Yeah, well, that definitely got hit by the the recession. And did now you know uh, you weren't now didn't quite make the recession yet uh, by the time you got all these properties, right? Or was it just starting? No. So we got out. We we did the last 1031 exchange a couple of months before the crash takes over and the recession hits the great recession um so the the interesting thing about the great recession is yes our net worth was hit which you know real estate got hit hard right even even apartments got hit but what happened is our cash flow went through the roof because as people were leaving houses they needed somewhere to rent and we saw better quality of tenants higher rents across all of our units um, as the great recession you know journey started um, so we we survived the Great Recession quite well, sitting in apartments. And what about your single families? We didn't have any single families. Were they all, all those, gone by that time? Okay, gone. so it's all oh, so it's all apartments at this time. Wow. Yeah, we ten thirty one out of the houses into apartments. Wow, they talk about the nick of time there. And uh, you didn't have any of those crazy loans uh, on those single families, did you? That uh, the others that you know the people that got stuck. No, the two. The ch- yeah, two and twenty-eights, all of that. No, we right. didn't have any of those loans. I, my, my, my brain, my mental brain would not let me go. Yeah, well, it starts at 0.9 percent, but two years later, <laughs> it resets at nine point nine, and yeah, none of those loans made sense to right. me. It was good you had the accounting background there. <laughs> so, that's great. <laughs> wow. And so um, now these are all in the same um, the same zone of Fresno that uh, you purchased the multifamily mm-hmm. as well. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it started to expand slightly, but yeah, they were all within two-mile drive, maybe two and a half. And were they uh, older buildings? And now you, you, most of your single family you said yeah. were 1980s and stuff. Yeah, these were a little bit older, probably. I'd, I'd have to go back and look. I think they, some of them were in the 60s and 70s. They were older, for sure. You know, they were all one-bedroom, one-bath, two-bedroom, one-bath, um, kind of, you know, B, C, C plus areas. And so at this time, then you you had how many doors total? 80 when we ended that part of the cycle. Okay. And um, and then the recession hits. And now are you actually, you mentioned the cash flow, were you able to increase rents? um, Or was it uh, um, just just because you had a steady cash flow that uh, it was strong? Yeah, rents went up that during that period. What people, yeah, and again, a lot of people have talked about it is, hey, when a recession hits, apartments do great. I don't know if that's statistically true for all recessions, but the Great Recession that was absolutely true, because what happened is a lot of people were pulled out of apartments and put into houses they they couldn't afford via liar loans, and then they boomerang back to apartments. So occupancy went up, rents went up, um, you know, bad debt went down. It was it was a pretty good time to be a landlord. Apartment units, uh, you know, two thousand seven, eight, nine, ten. Now, are you still working at this time? Absolutely, yeah. 
Okay, so you're still still working your your full time jobs, and now you got eighty units. Um, did you have the the same property manager uh, managing all your properties? Uh, right about that time, we we likely split our portfolio. I don't remember it exactly, but there was a time in our career for three or four years where we didn't want to have that single point of failure. Uh, so we were dividing our portfolio. We didn't go down to a single uh, property manager uh, until like three or four years ago. Okay, gotcha. So you're you're trucking along. You got eighty units, um, which is awesome, and uh, you're. Um, you're st- are you still moving forward? Are you buying yet? Yeah, because now I would imagine there'd be some great discounts out there, um, you know, especially 2009, 2010. Um, what, what, what were you doing at that time? We were very aggressive. Um, we, again, the beauty of lo- learning your market and looking every day is you can see things that other casual viewers miss. A lot of people would never realize that 2010 was the absolute best year to buy cash flowing real estate in the state of California. Most people were scared, but because we've been looking every day, um, we knew what was going on. We, we, yeah, we bought more houses in 2010 than we bought in a year. We started using hard money, private money. We borrowed against our 401k. We put loans on our cars. We did everything we could because the last thing we wanted to do was repeat mistakes of last other crashes. Lots of people write about real estate crashes, the SNL crash or the oil crash in Texas, and they're like, I wish we bought more. And that was something Olivia and I would never want to do, right? We want this was going to be our one time to strike. So we did everything we could to close on every transaction we could. So we were we were very, very, very aggressive. And the, the traditional lenders weren't lending at all, right? I mean, at that time, or at least if they mm-hmm. were, it was really hard to get not to us. Yeah. So, yeah. so going hard money and, and just trying to tap into other sources, uh, did you ever bring in uh, private money? Absolutely, yeah. What we found is once you started documenting what we did, a lot of our friends, again, we happen to live in the Silicon Valley. A lot of my network is salespeople who, who on occasion have good W-2s or good income. They were earning less than 1% in the bank, and we had a deal structure where we would pay 10%, put them on first, name them on insurance, give them all the security in the world. And uh, yeah, we borrowed millions of dollars uh, in private money uh, during that, during 2010, 11. Uh, that's awesome. And what did you acquire? What, uh, what, what, uh, were, you, were you buying bigger or buying about the same? We bought everything we could. We bought a bunch of houses. So it, the, the market fell apart last time kind of in waves. It started in houses, then went to small multis, and then went to actually commercial. So we were very active in single families until Wall Street came in. Then we then we were buying small residential, you know, twos through fours. And then, yeah, we bought a 10 unit, another 10 unit, an 18 unit. Um, we bought an 18 unit, zero down. You know, like people always talk about, we did it. And uh, we bought directly from a bank. How did you do that deal? Uh, so, the, so an owner of the 18 unit building sold it in 2006 at the peak for 1.4 million, carried the note. Uh, that uh, person, the lend, the borrower, uh, had a tough time keeping up with the mortgages, ultimately had to be foreclosed. Uh, the owner of the building was very old at this point and said he wanted out. We walked the building together uh, at the time, and it was destroyed. And I told him, you know, there's $100,000 in work required. He agreed, and we agreed on a price. And I said, well, you know what? I'll put hundred grand in escrow for the repairs, but I can't give you anything down. And he said, okay. And we just did the deal. Did he continue to carry the paper or no? Yep, with me. Yeah, with us. Yep. Oh, it did. That's great. Wow. So you started to get pretty savvy, you know, (laughs) it sounds like. I mean, from the (laughs) early beginnings, that's awesome. 
Um, did uh, okay. So you're, you're growing it. What uh, sort of? I don't know what uh, what point you would uh, kind of slow down. Um, I mean, there was a certain point where you uh, quit your work, right? And uh, what, what, when when did that happen? So my wife quit in 2014, I believe, and I quit in 2018. Got it. And so at that at that point, you were generating enough in cash flow um, to retire. I mean, right is basically it. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Uh, that's awesome. Are you still actively pursuing properties or what, sort of where are you at in that regard? Yeah, the beauty about being a real estate investor is you, the skills you have, the market changes all the time. It, uh, I'm always active. I think we added three or four units last year and last year was a slow year. Um, 2020 was rough, just no inventory, no deals, but yeah, we're always growing. We're, we're still growing. We're still having a good time. Um, you know, we still do owner finance deals where they make sense. We still make offers on the MLS, uh, but we're picky as you might imagine. Uh, but yeah, we know a market. We, we still think being a landlord is a good thing, even though, um, you know, California is not landlord friendly. Uh, but you know, I think if we do good tenant selection, we treat them right that, you know, more often than not, you know, good karma wins. So yeah, we're still growing. Wow. Well, that's a, that's a fascinating story. Um, kind of looking back from the beginning, obviously there had to be some mistakes that you learn from, right? Uh, it's not a bad thing. Mistakes are actually good because they, they help us to become better. But uh, what would you say so your biggest mistake was, um, you know, in this process? Well, I guess one of the stories people like to hear about it, and it is in the book, is our first tenant. Right? Remember that first house we bought? Uh, it doesn't end well, and, and there's kind of a lesson in there. So we do we do everything right: credit check, reference check, um, criminal records, you know, first first and deposit, all of that. But what didn't happen is we didn't realize that the family that moved in was about to be divorced or separated or whatever the right word is. And they moved in. And within two weeks, the wife was gone. She moved to New Mexico or someplace. We never hear from her again. And the husband, who's now in our brand new rental that we're so excited to have, decides to quit working, quit paying his rent and become a professional alcoholic. Uh, and of course, we're in the lovely state of California, which means that he gets a, he got to live in our place for about 75 days paying no rent and was, you know, and destroyed our house to the tune of almost 15 grand in, in repairs. Oh, gee. Um, so that was, that was a pain. Yeah. That was a painful experience. The good news is after 20 years and thousands of tenants, I have two of those stories. It, it's a shame that it happened in our first one, but I remember going in that property and, you know, nearly breaking down and, uh, getting back in the car because again remember two and a half hours away so we have to drive two and a half hours not knowing what we're going to get into get out of the car look just you know just upset and olivia looks at me and goes did we do anything wrong and we're like no we you know we did this we did that we did this you know they got divorced and you know he, he's not happy about it and i go well, what do you want to do i fully expected her to say sell it because again remember we don't know fresno it's the first experience it's a horrible experience right. and she goes okay let's do the next one I'm like, oh my God, are you serious? I'm like, <laughs> I'm shocked. Thank you so much. But, you know, obviously that house goes on to be a huge success for us. We, the next tenant moves in, never misses rent. Uh, it appreciates 150 grand in, in the span of three years and, and has produced, you know, a, a building that we still own today. And, um, you know, it has a great story. So the first thing is bad stuff happens in real estate. Real estate's a people business. I thought it was an Excel spreadsheet business. It's absolutely not. It's a people business. So realize that. So bad things happen. 
And the other story I have for you is about year nine or 10. You know, we have 80, maybe even 100 units at this point. And we just left a, a, a housewarming party for one of my employees. So somebody re reported to me, just got a big old house in the Bay Area. And again, we're living in a condo that we bought decades ago. And I remember pulling over just crying, distressed. I'm like, honey, why don't we have that? Not knowing that, you know, they signed up for a huge mortgage payment and, and their life's creep and, and he's going to have to work forever. So sometimes you just need to remind yourself that financial freedom is a long journey. Our journey, as we document in the book, is 15 years. And at year nine, I almost gave up. And that would have been a shame, right? If we would have sold our condo, bought a house, I probably had, would have had to work another 15 years. And, and you know, sometimes you get really close and you just forget that, that you're, you're almost there. So there was, there was a couple of points in our career that we almost veered off and, and it almost doesn't end well. But thankfully... Thankfully, Olivia was there to set me straight and, and uh, you know, make sure we, we stayed on track together. Hmm, that's awesome. Now, what would you say is uh, sort of biggest success? So what uh, one key thing, event, action, what have you, that uh, really made a difference in your investing? Uh, the, the biggest thing I've come to appreciate after coaching and helping people all this time is I once I get focused on something, I, I do the work. And, and I can proudly say after 20 years, I still look at my market every day. So I can see the subtle changes. I can see the inventory rising or dropping. I can see prices rising or dropping. I can see quality difference. The clean stuff sells fast. The, the old stuff doesn't sell. I can tell you what's overpriced, underpriced. I can find value. And the only way you could do that is if you look at your market. It doesn't take a lot of time. It takes 10 or 20 minutes a day, right? I started, like I said, very early on in what's called the Mayfair District, 93703. If you look at that market every day for three-bedroom, four-bedroom houses, it doesn't take that long. You can't learn Fresno, which is a million people, but you can learn a subsegment of one part of Fresno. So that's what you have to do. Uh, I've looked at my market, and the market certainly for me has grown over time, but that's because I've gotten. But yeah, that's that, you know, in hindsight, that's my superpower is I was very focused. I didn't get distracted. I, you know, if I was focused on the Mayfair, I didn't look at other parts of Fresno. I did not look at other parts of California. I did not look out of state. I did not look at multifamily until the time was right. I looked at three-bedroom and four-bedroom houses in the Mayfair district for years before I looked at anything else. Hmm. And do you recall how you initially discovered the Mayfair uh, section of town? I asked three or four people in the area what was what was um, what was middle class, and they all said the Mayfair. So that's where I started. Hmm. Awesome! Wow, that's a that's amazing. Well, we have, you know, folks, our, our show is called the Old Dogs REI Network. And, uh, you know, we really target the that group that is like 50 years of age and, and older. Some are approaching retirement and they're, you know, trying to figure out if, uh, you know, if, if they have what they want to have for the retirement that they have dreamt of. And uh, then there's those that are already retired that, uh, you know, maybe they're just, you know, Either they need additional cash flow, uh, maybe they got a nest egg and they want to try to get uh, you know good returns on it. Um, what, what kind of advice would you have for that audience and, and those folks um, uh, regarding real estate investing and, and how you might uh, you know advise them to to get involved? Yeah, so I would tell you, you know, assuming your your time horizon is you know longer than five years, so you don't have a terminal illness or you know something that you know where you you only think you have five years left. If that's all you think you have left, go enjoy life. Don't bother with rental properties. But assuming 
my hope is most of you believe you're going to live longer than five years. I believe being a buy and hold landlord today is a great idea. You learn your market. You can get remarkably cheap interest rates. Uh, if you're in your 50s or greater, you're going to get interest rates that you, you used to get in your savings account on 30-year debt. And maybe for you, maybe you want 15-year debt. There's nothing wrong with that, right? If you're, if you're in your 50s and you see yourself working for another decade, you know what? What's wrong with getting four properties, putting 30 or 35% down and getting a 15-year loan, right? That way, when you get to year 10, most of it's paid off. Maybe you sell one and pay off the others just so you have more financial freedom and flexibility when you are done in your 60s. I think rental properties are great because the debt is cheap. It's tax advantage. It appreciates both in value and in rent. It's an inflation hedge. It's a dollar hedge. Um, you know, if I was in my 50s making six figures a year and my kids were already out of the house, I would strongly recommend getting a B, B-plus area, getting a 15-year loan, putting a little down so it still cash flows at least a little. And just know you have, you know, another forced savings account that, oh, by the way, given the fact that we're printing 12% of GDP in 2020 and likely going to do it in 2021, you know what? Having stuff that's protected from inflation is probably not a bad idea. Yeah, that's great. Great advice. Uh, do you have a certain target per door that you uh, seek to, uh, for, for all of your properties? I did in the beginning. I, I think it's it's very risky now and it takes you to worse areas of town. Now what I do is I tell people to figure out what the average return is in your market. I call it yield. So for example, in Fresno today, the average yield is 6%, which means um, you know, if, if, if I'm looking for a cash flow deal, out-of-pocket, closing costs, make ready, and then expected yearly cash flow, it, it's 6%. So what I do is I look for deals that are higher than that. I only want to do deals that are 7 and 8%. I believe every market in the country has an average. Some of them are higher. You know, maybe Ohio's 10%, maybe Michigan's 11 I don't know. But the idea is I think if you go spend the time learning your market, what I call doing the work, you figure out what average is first for your market. And then what you do is you only do deals that are better than average. You don't have to say yes to everything. Like Warren Buffett says, treat it like a punch card. You know, your punch card has four spots on it or 10 spots on it. You don't have to say yes to the first four or the first 10. Do the work, do your homework, learn your market, and then do good or great deals. How are you finding out what the, the local return is for, for your market? I do the math, frankly, I, I, and I've been doing it for years. So purchase price, down payment, closing costs, make ready. That's the denominator, right? That's cash out of pocket. Then it's monthly rent minus all the expenses, mortgage payments, tax, insurance, property manager, reserves, so on and so forth. That produces a monthly cash flow times 12. That's your yearly cash flow. You take the yearly cash flow divided by the denominator of out of pocket cash, and that's a percentage. Uh, so if you do that you know, across dozens, if not hundreds of properties, you'll figure out what average is. And then your deal is to only do um, deals better than average. So it does take work. It takes you 60 or 90 days to figure out what average is, but it's a well worth the effort. I don't suggest walking into a casino and saying, hey, I'm going to pick 12 or 17 on the roulette wheel. I think you should do your work. I think you should be prepared. Um, you know, I, I really do think you need to learn your market and it's 10 to 20 minutes a day, but it's every day. I don't think you do it four hours on Saturday. I think you do it to 10 to 20 minutes a day. You see what comes on, you see what comes off, you see what sells, what what has the price drop, and you just start to figure it out. Great stuff. Great stuff. Wow. Um, well, you, you know, it seemed like you're you're not slowing down here at all. <laughs> and uh, so what's your what's your long-term play and what kind of excites you about the future? 
You know, the exciting thing right now as we sit here in early 2021 is I think I'm going to repeat the cycle that was in my book that we talked about earlier where we went from 8 to 80. I think we're at a unique time where multifamily is actually in trouble. Uh, I think, And again, we own some of these, so I can say that with certainty. Uh, vacancies are up. Uh, rent collections are rougher. Uh, rents are going down in multifamily. Uh, but given the debt structure, a lot of that pain won't show up for yields, years. Uh, then you flip the coin over to single family homes and there's a lot of pluses going on. You've got urban flight. You've got millennials becoming buyers. Uh, you have new development increasing, which will pull up existing home sales. You still can get interest rates in the twos, certainly in the threes for 30 year fixed rate money. So what I'm doing today is I'm going to buy as many single family homes as I can in the next 12 to 36 months. And then I will do what we did in the book. I will 1031 exchange out of overpriced houses into multifamily that is now suffering. So I'm going to repeat phase one of our book uh, for the next two to three years. Interesting. Really interesting. Um, do you see prices taking a, a dip yet? I mean, though, are you going to buy at current prices or are you, are you waiting for the, the decline there? I will. I you got to be. I don't think there is a decline coming, at least not in the near future. Now, that's not for every market like San Francisco. Big trouble. New York, big trouble. But again, I think the tertiary markets, the non-urban cores are going to do well. I think I think the millennial buyers are real. I think uh, owner occupants are real. I think class A renters don't want to live in class A apartments anymore. I think we've seen a fundamental shift in work from home. Uh, so I think space is good and uh, single family homes equal space and options and work from home and kid, teach your kids in home and your gym is now your home and your movie theater is now your home and uh, nobody wants to live in an apartment if you can avoid it. So I I want to go where the action is. And I think that's single family homes, non-urban core. That's that's fascinating. It's like one of the first people I've heard say that. That's uh, that's really insightful. Of course, California is a bit of an anomaly, too. Um, I don't I don't know that you're going to see the same kind of um, equity play that uh, in Ohio or you know some of the Midwest or southern states. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can only profess to know the market that I know. Um, yeah, I, I will tell you that my guess, I was asked one time on a national show what I thought appreciation would be for 2021. And again, that's a national number. So it takes the ups and the downs. And I said over 8%. Wow. Wow. That's a that's a that's a huge huge jump actually. Yeah, and it was fourteen percent yeah. in twenty twenty. So some yeah. so some people will go, oh my god, it's a slowdown. Well, yeah, it's a slowdown from fourteen, but it's you know it. Uh, there's some people talking about a thirty percent price decline, and you know I just don't see how that mathematically happens. It just it just won't happen, at least not in twenty twenty one. Right. Wow. Well, this is this has been uh, just an amazing show. Um, the I think that the. Uh, you know the some of the insights in your book. I mean, maybe there's some tips you might want to relay for that uh, that can be found in your book that uh, might be helpful to our audience. Yeah, really, the book I think is divided into two parts. The first section is just a summary of our 15 year journey. I wrote that kind of like, hey, you read Rich Dad Poor Dad. Now what? Uh, because there was no how to in that. So we wrote. So the first half of the book is about 60 percent of the pages. Is here's our journey. The good and the bad. I tell you about the, the ups and the downs and the mistakes and the wins the, the whole time. Talk about the money, the buys, all of that. Uh, and then the, the other 40% are just our lessons learned, things we recommend, uh, things that, you know, if we had to do over, we would. Um, you know, it's just an honest reflection. It's just a self-published guy. I just put it up on Amazon. So uh, I am pleased that there's 406 five-star reviews. I'm, I'm really proud of that. And um, yeah, it's it's 
it, it, it's quite an honor to have written that book and see how it's helped people. That's great. Uh, do you have, um, you know, like uh, templates or things like that in there, the guides for you know new investors? No, it's not a it's not a how to book. Okay, no, it's not it's just a story of it's meant to create belief and confidence. It's not a how to book. Gotcha, gotcha. It's good to know. Well, uh, we have to our segment called Wrap It Up, which is uh, the basically uh, an opportunity for you to share resources that have been of value to you um, with our listening audience, and um, uh, they can you know pick up some some maybe good good ideas, good resources out there that uh, might help them in their real estate efforts. So if you're ready, yep. we can wrap it up. All right, first question: favorite real estate book. Uh, the Real Estate Millionaire by Gary Keller. It's a blue and white book. Uh, I love that book for what it was, but the, mo- the most valuable part for me there is the last 30 or 40 pages were case studies of real estate millionaires. Because what I found most difficult in my journey was finding other investors that had full-time jobs. Because uh, that's where I was. I was a full-time employee, and that was where my income come to buy and repair my stuff. So that book really was important to me. That's great. Great recommendation. Um, how about uh, just a favorite general business book? Uh, perhaps the most favorite book I've read is one that's 20 years old or so called The American Capitalist. It was one of the first unauthorized biographies of Warren Buffett. Oh, wow. Awesome. Great. Uh, how about the most valuable website for success? Uh well, so in the beginning, it would have to have been bigger pockets. Uh, I think it's now become a very marketing kind of engine. I don't go there all that much. Today, uh, it's probably YouTube, probably. Yeah, yeah, YouTube's amazing. You can find anything you need to do. You know, you want to do a home repair or whatever it is. You know, people have, have their phone with their car hoods up trying to figure out what's wrong with their car. I mean, it's amazing. Yep. Uh, how about a uh, favorite app on your phone? So I built all my searches and queries in Realtor.com. Mm, okay. And uh, take your phone with you when you're, you're yep. shopping around? That's awesome. Do you ever do, sort of drive for dollars when you're in your neighborhood? Just drive up and down looking at uh, neighborhoods and look for maybe properties that are a little depressed in a B area, that kind of thing? Nope. Yeah, I have. No. We don't, I don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Just curious. Just curious. Uh, how about a favorite quote? Uh, again, probably Warren Buffett. He's kind of one of the guys that I've always followed. Is is you only find out who's swimming naked when the tide goes out. <laughs> That's great, great one. And this this one here, uh, which you, doesn't sound like you've had to deal with this, but uh, if you lost everything, all your assets, and you had to start all over, knowing what you already know, and you only had one thousand dollars, what would you do to launch a real estate investing business with that one thousand dollars? Hmm. Again, I think I would I would just keep that in the bank. Uh, I would actually pick up my phone and start networking with people. Real estate investing is a networking business. I would call every real estate agent. Like, for example, I would once again focus on an area. Let's just use Mayfair District. I would call every agent who had a property listing in the Mayfair, tell them who I am, what I'm looking for, uh, and I would just grow my network that way. Um, so I would, I would save the $1,000 as probably would become earnest money deposit on a deal that I would try to put together. Do you would have to do a down payment or would you try, you, I guess you'd have to I try, would try to do, get investors? Again, I would probably, yeah, I would try to either get investors or I would try to find out owner financing. I would, I would basically, uh, I would not use the $1,000 for marketing. I would use it to try to lock up a deal. 
Um, and again, I would either get investors, private money, or use it to, um, you know, use it as some down payment on a seller financing deal. Got it. This is great stuff. Great stuff. Yeah, I'm sure the folks that are listening would uh, love to find out more about you or your book. Or um, uh, what, uh, what would be a good way for folks to do that? Yeah, so you can find the book on Amazon. Just look up One Rental at a Time. It's also on Audible if you'd rather listen. I finally put it on Audible. The best way to follow me is I put out daily original content on my YouTube channel. And of course, it is called One Rental at a Time. Excellent. Well, man, this has been absolutely awesome. I I, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I, I just kind of like how you just, you know, you just kind of just talk the average guy here and, uh, and, uh, you know, you, you make it sound easy, you know, and, uh, and I think that's good because I think people need to know, I mean, it isn't necessarily easy. It does take a lot of hard work and time, but, uh, it's your persistence. I think that really stands out more than anything. And like you said, you could have given it all up eight years in, but, mm -hmm. uh, thanks to your wife, you know, you, you, you were able to push, push forward and I'm sure you haven't regretted that. So, mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's awesome. Wow. Well, um, we uh, have a tradition here at the Old Dogs Network here where we uh, have our guests close us out with their best old hound dog howl. And uh, <laughs> my best friend lives uh, near Fresno right up there. So I know they got dogs around there. And uh, <laughs> so so uh, you uh, are you ready to do this? Just close us out with your best uh, hound dog howl. Howl! <laughs> All right. <laughs> that was great. That was great. Wow. Well, I uh, I can't thank you enough for being on. This is a, a great, uh, great material, great information, and you sound like a great guy. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate it. Let me know when it comes out. I sure will. Also, I want to thank all our old dog listeners out there for joining us. I know there's a lot of other things you could be doing right now, but the fact that you've taken the time to join us means a lot, and we really appreciate it. Please note everything we discussed today uh, on, on the show. All the details, references are accessible in our detailed show notes at the Old Dogs website at olddogsreinetwork.com forward slash blog. And you're going to look for the episode with Michael Zuber. Well, that's the show for today. Remember, cash flow is king and real estate investing the means. Until next time, keep moving forward and may God bless. Thank you very much for visiting the Old Dogs REI Network. We would greatly appreciate if you would stop by iTunes and let us know what you think of the show. We would love if you could subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star rating, and write a review. The more ratings and reviews we receive, the more visible the podcast will be to others. Thank you.